Welcome to Star Techies. This podcast is designed to get inside the minds of some of the brightest stars in the field of technology. In this episode of Star Techies, we speak to Elsa Bernadotte. Elsa is definitely one of the queens of the Swedish startup scene. She's co-founder of Karma, an app that I'd say a large portion of Stockholmers are familiar with. For those of you who have not used Karma before, and you really should download the app after listening to the podcast, Karma lets restaurants sell their leftovers, but it's much more delicious than it sounds. Karma has regularly been listed as one of the hottest startups, and it is set to take Europe by storm. It already has offices in the UK and France, and I'm sure many more of Karma's distinctive pink fridges will be popping up all around the world. So sit back, get comfy, and let's talk to one of the best about entrepreneurship. So thank you very much for joining us on Star Techies today, Elsa. So let's talk about Karma to start with. Now, you've been named as one of the coolest startups in Europe. <laughs> why, why do you think that's, that is? That's a good question. No, I think in general, we have found a, a really fortunate sweet spot of you know, working with something that is within sustainability, where we want to, you know, solve the issue of global food waste, its impact. It has a really clear purpose. It's very mission-driven. We're a very value-driven company. At the same time, we are a tech company, which I think attracts a lot of people as well, and that they can actually use either their tech interest or their already tech skills to sort of uh, take that into usage for, for, for this mission. Um and we're a young team, uh, which I think can attract a lot of young people, but hopefully from all ages. Um, what else? I don't know. But you're also rolling out to, to London and other... Yeah, I mean, we've been growing. You're in many that's places true. now. No, that's true. I mean, we've been growing incredibly quickly, um, or at least that's how it felt. Um, I mean, now we're in 150 cities in Sweden, um, cities, because... It's not all of them are super big, but still, we're nationwide. We are in London. We've now expanded to Brighton and UK, and we're going to continue growing regionally. So we have a team over there as well. Um, we have a team in Paris and France, and it's really great because um, a colleague of mine, she was like, oh, in two weeks, I'm actually going to go to Paris with my boyfriend because he needs to work there. And I was like, and she was like, I'm going to work from the Paris office, which is amazing. And I was like, this is so cool. Um, so uh, that's probably something that, I mean, in general... I think people like the possibility of growth, uh, both on a personal level, but just like in the surroundings. Like at least I'm very attracted about being in a place where things are happening and constantly changing, uh, like challenging you and like that where everything is sort of possible. And you think that's like the tech scene in general, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's always, always changing. You're always doing something different. There's always things new on the horizon. Yeah. Now, before we get too deep into a discussion about technology, and we'll definitely revisit that soon, uh, let's go right back to the beginning and find out who Elsa is as a person. So did you grow up in Stockholm? Or where are you from? Where am I from? Where are you from? I did not grow up in Stockholm. I, uh, I'm actually from the countryside outside of Uppsala. Uh, about, it's about an hour from Stockholm, so not super far. But where I grew up, we were right in the middle of the forest and... You know, the house I grew up in had literally no houses around us. So it was both sort of like very idyllic uh, in that way, but also quite lonely. Um, But I loved it so much. So very, very, um, you know, close to nature. We had dogs, we had rabbits, we had horses at some point. Uh, So I I was outside quite a lot and and, um, 
was really, really encouraged to use my imagination to sort of create my own my own reality for good and bad, I guess. I do think that's why you're so interested in sort of sustainability and the, the environment and the impact, because you grew up in this ideally countryside location. You're really close to nature. That's true. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, though. Um, I have felt that I think it's it's influenced my approach to possibilities. Because um, to me, I always felt that I was encouraged to just use my imagination to create a lot with very little in the terms of like, well, you know, we're not going to entertain you. So just go out and, and see what you can do with what you have around you. And that is very much how I feel about entrepreneurship. It's, or at least currently with my, with Karma. And, you know, when you're running a startup for us, it's, so it's a matter of not really having as much resources as we want. And we trying to do things in, in ways that it hasn't been done before. And I think the environment I grew up in really encouraged that kind of mindset. Um, but then whether it's it's influenced my sort of the path I'm on right now in sustainability, I'm unsure, maybe on a unconscious level, perhaps. So moving on from childhood into adulthood, let's talk about your university experience. I went to Stockholm School of Economics, so I did move into Stockholm eventually. Um, and when I went to the Stockholm School of Economics, at the time it was really, really popular to be a banker or a management consultant. I think that's changed now to some extent. It's probably always going to be popular among econ- economists. But um, at the time, that was really, really like, that was a focus. And I, I felt very strongly very early on that I have not studied this hard to just do that, even though I hadn't done it myself. I just, I didn't see really the the value. I, and then when I asked about the value, like why you should do that in particular, I never felt that I got an answer that I could really understand or like get my head around why that would motivate me. Um, and I think that sort of, by being able to close those doors for myself, that led me to entrepreneurship. That's when I realized, okay, if I, if, if I go from the no's, no's from my point of view, then maybe that will lead me to my yes. Um, but my first job actually after university wasn't as, wasn't as an entrepreneur. I, I worked at Chanel for a year, the, uh, the fashion house, and I was responsible for the Swedish market, um, within the categories, um, uh, perfumes, uh, cosmetics and skincare. And I think that was, again, like a, it was a little bit of a detour. I, I should have figured out earlier on, I think that that wouldn't have been the best fit for me, but I was still exploring and. What I, that's when I realized that I really need to do something What it's not enough to say I'm not going to be a banker or a management consultant. I probably need to go somewhere where it's really about innovation, taking things from zero to one and not taking something that is fairly established and sort of make it incrementally better, which is more the case at Chanel. So, you know, I, I think it's an amazing company and, and I'm incredibly impressed with what they've done. But I was the wrong person at that job. Okay, so how did you go from working at Chanel, which would be many people's dream job, to really digging deep and finding out where your true passion lay? Uh, what really inspires you? <laughs> so during that year, I think I started three different companies that never got anywhere. Um, and I really tried, you know, on the, on the evenings, on the weekends, to sort of, you know, get my first prototypes of my, <laughs> my ideas and my business model up and running. And I, I ended up realizing that regardless of how much I try on the evenings on the weekends, for me, I will never 
get as far as I want to with this if I don't do it full time. Um, and that realization was after a year at Chanel. And that's when I decided to quit. And I, I didn't have any perfect idea. It's not that I, that wasn't karma for me. I, I actually had another company before karma. So I decided that I really remember this moment because I said, I'm going to take the best of all of my shitty ideas because <laughs> I hadn't really felt that I found, you know, the golden idea that's going to be the thing. So I said, I'm going to take the one that I like the most at least. And I'm going to start with that one and I'm going to find a great co-founder that complements me. Um, and that will take us somewhere. Um, and that will sort of force me to, to learn faster, to accelerate faster. Um, so I, I, I really wanted to take take away the, the, the safety net in a way, uh, while still having quite a safe environment in general, I, I, I would say. Um, so I, I, um, that's where I started off. And I sent the text to a very, an old friend that I didn't really know that well, that I hadn't been in touch with for like two years. And I texted him and I said, you know, I have this business idea. Uh, we should meet up. Like, I would want to pitch it to you. I have no idea where you live, if you live in Stockholm or anything. But uh, can you meet up? And he was like, this is so weird. I've been, I've been traveling the world for six months. I've just taken leave of absence from my job another six months to start my own company. So yeah, let's meet up. And we, we met the day after. And he, I pitched one of my ideas. And then he pitched to me another idea that I was like, this is so much better. <laughs> Let's go for yours. And that became, that was the day when the, our company Pop Fruits was, was born. Um, and that's when I left Chanel. So that's how it started. And that was about three years before Karma. Okay, so it's very interesting. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, but let's unpack some of the, what so some of the shitty ideas. You said you had businesses that you tried to, to mm -hmm. start up first. Uh, what were... What were some of these, because you learn a lot from other people's sure. mistakes. What mm -hmm. were these mistakes that you made? I mean, they might actually not be such bad ideas. They weren't bad ideas, I think. Um, but the, the issue wasn't that they were bad. It was that I didn't love them enough to be willing to overcome the challenges. So one of them was super simple. It was very much like, I, I, I simply, as a project name, I called it El, um, Elsa, my name, uh, Elsa Spoodbrooks. Uh, so it was within food still, um, and it was simply a, a subscription model of food boxes that you would get sent home that was gluten-free, lactose-free and sugar-free. Because at the time I was really playing around with my diet and I was like, I found it really, really hard to find like healthy on-the-go food boxes um, that was still, you know, on a decent price level. And I figured like, if, if I'm having this issue and that I'm, I'm not having kids, but I'm still lazy and want to focus on other things while maintaining a good diet, or in my view, a good diet, uh, there's probably more people out there. And I think the segment is gonna grow. And that was, I think what was, uh, in Sweden, we had Svartaloa done, like a black box um, that still exists. And I, I think that they've improved their service a lot because I've actually tested them now and I like them. I really like the service. But at the time, I did not like the the food that they offered. I didn't feel that it was healthy enough. Um, and then, so we didn't have all, there's, there's um, it was really few options out there. Now there's much, much more. Um, so that, I mean, I, I still think it's a good idea, uh, but I, I realized that there would be a lot of hassle with the production, that I would need to set up a local production. And I think just handling food in that way uh, was not that I really wanted to get into. So it's really ironic that I'm now working with food, but we're not really the ones, you know, 
taking the food or like buying the food ourselves, we're simply vis- visualizing it through tech, which is more in, in, in my, my type of taste. Um, so that was one idea. Uh, did a few tests with uh, beta testers on that, found it really fun, but then ended up with like, I'm not willing to overcome the challenges in scaling this. And then the second one was something that I called uh, Butler Express, <laughs> also like a terrible project name. Um, so you can tell that I didn't get that far with these ideas. Um, and it was simply <laughs> um, sort of, I was visualizing like, what if you could ask people what are like the, the five or 10 things that you found least interesting doing, but that is still taking your time and that you just like continuously need to do, like throw your newspapers or, uh, you know, uh, now I don't come to think of anything, but just like these daily tasks that take up time and energy that is simply things that needs to get done, but you don't enjoy doing. Um, what if you could have sort of your own butler who helps you with that, but you would maybe be 10 people who shares a butler <laughs> maybe not butler is the right word but if you find 10, ten people within a very you know uh, close proximity uh, maybe that is actually a full-time job for someone and then in that way you could cover the cost for one full-time employee and at the same time you could actually get help with these kind of services that you otherwise would never outsource because that would be ridiculous but since you're actually sharing you know 10 families or not it would actually make sense um, and then my idea was to actually educate people who are um, like unemployed and to see like if you can um, you know, educate them and maybe this could be like a good step for them to get into the, uh, to the, the workplace. This doesn't seem like such a bad idea. I wouldn't mind Butler <laughs> Express. <Yeah. laughs> you can see with all my recycling that I've got in the laundry exactly. room at the moment. Exactly. So maybe that one, you know, can still yeah. be in the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. So if you know, if you're going to recommend, if people think I, I want to start up, yeah. How do I become, you know, this startup entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, so identify a need that you can see that yeah. you know that you feel that resonates with you. Yeah. And then what do you do after that stage? Who do you call? What happens if you have no one in your contact list? Your LinkedIn is zero. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> who, who do you call? You know, if you want to do testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you get to the next stage? I think I'm fairly good at just asking people. I mean, I would probably ask you, you know, I have this idea. What do you think about this? Like, have you read about similar service? Would you want to use it? What's your initial reaction? And just, just go from there. And what's really fascinating is that if you do that, a lot of people would either either give you good inputs, like their point of view, obviously very biased, but that's at least one, uh, one data point. But also like, well, I have this app that actually reminds me of this. Maybe you can get inspiration for that. Or, well, actually I have a friend who does X, Y, Z, I can connect you. So I think in general, I always encourage others, but also myself, like reach out, talk to people. You don't have to know them. You could talk to the person you're buying your coffee from. It doesn't have to be that difficult. And in terms of prototyping and getting funding for basic, I mean, sort of Butter work. Express was simply paper and a pen. <laughs> uh, that was how I started, and then the next step from there was like a Google Docs. <laughs> it was like super, super scrappy. Um, and I think if I would, you know, when I uh, if I make prototypes today of ideas, I I think I actually I've tried to do like wireframes with prototypes. You know, you can use you can use. Uh, Figma, for example, that we use here in the design team at Karma, but I found it's easy from a creative point of view for myself to actually start with just like a pen and paper. I actually use my iPad now with my pen, my Apple pen, just so that I can really like be incredibly flexible. 
Um, but I think that's very important to take in. And do you feel like you've got ideas coming out of your head all the time for new services, new businesses? It doesn't I mean, stop. It's just like no. this flow of ideas. I mean, I think I have, yes, that is, um, but, but it's also because you sort of get into the habit of trying to identify like where are the friction points right now for the company. Um, and every time, I think it's Jack Ma who says like wherever there's a complaint, there's an opportunity. Uh, or something similar, and I, I and I really like that because I, I think it's really true. I mean, we have so many challenges here at Karma, or you know, blockers or whatnot, or friction points. Was like, oh, how are we going to solve this? And like, we need to create this format for this, or we we would love like a program for this. Do we need to build ourselves, or does it already exist? And a lot of the times, we need to invent it ourselves. It doesn't have to be super complicated, but um, it's that that is also what's so fascinating that there's like there's still so much to do. So, yes, but I, I can't say that like all of them would be something that I would run for if I didn't do karma. So talk us through your first startup. What was the process? You said with, you met a friend, you called him, you met the next day, you came up with a, a business idea. Yeah. And then three years later, karma was born. So what happened in between yeah. that period? <laughs> <A lot>. between? <laughs> um, no, so what happened during that first year, We uh, the first thing for us was like, okay, how are we going to, how are we actually gonna make this product? And pretty so the product itself was a was called Pop Fruits. It was a healthy substitute to ice cream. So made of frozen fruit on a stick. So imagine, you know, a mango peeled on a stick, frozen, so you could eat it on the go, and it was became like an ice cream because the the uh, the texture is like very creamy. Um because it would be really hard to eat like a mango on the go, having it in your backpack or such. Um and then pretty quickly we realized that if we're going to produce it in Sweden, it's going to be pretty hard because we don't really produce that many mangoes and pineapples and such. So we started um, exploring what options we had around the world. So we had, you know, contact with suppliers from all over the world. And that was, I loved that phase because, you know, Skyping and emailing and talking to producers from, you know, everywhere from Portugal to California to Madagascar to China to Vietnam and Thailand and you realize like wow you know not only is the world really big but they're also quite small like you can really now with with services like Alibaba you can really reach a lot of people all over the world uh, who can produce everything <laughs> um, so that was the first step like how are we actually going to produce, produce this product and once we figured that out or sort of got a sense of that like does it make sense from a financial perspective like how um, and that was like the first year of everything from production, traveling a lot, like visiting these these facilities, putting together everything from the, the website, the brand, uh, the logistics, like how would it be transported from production, how would it be distributed here in Sweden, and then start with the whole sales to, you know, the retailers. So we started with, wanted to be like a really premium brand. So I think in the, in the beginning, the one pop-up costed almost, it was 39 Swedish kroners. Uh, which is, you know, quite a lot if you compare it to like a pigelin for 10 kroners. Um, but that was also because it was like 100% fruit, so it should be like a healthy substitute, and then it's it's uh, it's worth paying a little bit more, and also because all of them were handmade. But um, we expanded, we started with a selected few retailers like Urban Deli, Albert and Jacks, and then expanded to bigger chains, so we worked with Ica, for example, and, and uh, Ritan Group, at 7-Eleven and Plastrum, which was a massive thing for us. And then we expanded to Holland and then to Spain. And 
it was about after two years we got offered the opportunity to actually sell the company to one of our distribution partners who wanted to build like this portfolio of brands or products that were all like they wanted to build sort of like a, a healthy portfolio alternative to Unilever or Diabeo. So instead of, you know, unhealthy ice cream, mm-hmm. uh, it would be like gluten-free, lactose-free and sugar-free. Like there are ways to actually produce those. And Pop Fruit was like a perfect match in that portfolio. Um, and then me and Eric, my, my co-founder at the time, we said like, maybe this is a good opportunity actually, because it had been quite tough, even though it was amazing. I really, really loved the journey. Uh, Pop Fruit will always be my baby. <laughs> um, but, you know, having... Working with a physical product that is food, frozen, with production on the other side of the world, where you had to like Skype with your producers in the middle of the night, with all of the barriers and culture barriers and language barriers that came along with it, and then like the whole logistics to bring it over here, with the seasonality, it was like the liquidity was also no the um, cash flow was quite tough because we needed to pay six months before we actually got the payment from our our customers and such so we uh, i think we we both felt like it actually would be amazing to maybe start something that could be a little bit more uh, scalable uh without all of these challenges that comes along with that product so that's why we sold it which i'm incredibly proud of that we actually knew were able to do and then karma yeah. Did you have this aha moment and he said aha what i i took about three weeks uh, vacation after pop fruit and, and sort of wanted to like be a little bit introspective and say what do I want to do now and pretty quickly I realized that I want to do it again I love being an entrepreneur but I want to build something that is technical I, did, I wanted to build something digital that could have you know an impact on a global scale uh, which I thought like if you go digital it can go so quickly um, and I just love like all the opportunities that comes along with it so that was something that I knew that I wanted to do. Started to reach out to a few people um, and my current co-founders, uh, they heard about me and reached out and said like, hey, we have this idea. Um, it's called Karma. It's a, it's a, it's similar to Groupon, like a deal platform, but it's crowdsourced. And I, I didn't, I didn't really understand like the whole product was, wasn't really super attractive to me at the time, but I, I got intrigued. And we met up and I, I really, really, I was super impressed by them. And they had built their own company as well, which was more of a B2B solution compared to me, who was more B2C or B2B2C. And uh, two of them, Mathis and Ludwig, were engineers. Jalmar, uh, he's a medical doctor, but he has been coding since he was 10. And I'm an economist. And we were all like, well, actually, we're quite complementary, but very, very similar in what we, like, how we're visualizing the company we want to build and the values we have. So we started with like, I think finding each other, having a very shared vision that we want to use tech to build something that can have a positive impact on a global scale. That's where we started. And I think that's sort of the, the whole, the sort of, you know, that, that's what's pointed us into where Karma is today. Now, Karma's co-founders come from quite varied educational backgrounds. You were an economist to start with. Did you find the transition into a more tech-focused area quite natural? Not really. Um, I, I think if I would have gotten in touch with it more naturally earlier, I think it would have. Because 
I since I love math in school, uh, like I love the like the the logical part and analytical part, or especially the logical part of programming. And um, so I can really like now when I'm learning to program myself, I can really feel like oh I wish I would have done this when I was ten because I would have loved this. It makes so much sense and it's so clean. <laughs> um, but no, it was not natural to me. So that was really like getting out of my own comfort zone. Um, it was odd, you know, to start something with people where I had at least as much experience as they had within running a, a company, which was not, I mean, none of us had done it for that many years, but they were still like ahead of me quite a lot. So I've been, I think I've been, you know, working really hard to catch up and I still do because I want to and I really like um I mean if I work twice as hard to, to catch up then eventually like we will be hopefully on the same level um but in the beginning it felt like there was this like whole area that I didn't see that I didn't really couldn't grasp and I didn't know where to start and then I realized it doesn't really matter I just have to start whether that is you know you know, learn how CSS works or just like, how do you build a website or it, it doesn't matter at all. That's, that's my experience because now I've, I didn't even know Photoshop and I, now I've learned like, I'm not an expert in Photoshop, but I know Photoshop fairly okay. And like Premiere Pro and After Effects and they are not, they're not programming at all, but I can see it, it's all like connected to some extent. And now when I'm I'm going in, I'm, I'm uh, taking a computer science course um, and it's sort of, it's not, it's sort of touching a lot of areas and I'm, I'm, I'm now I've read a little bit of different languages and I'm starting to see, okay, I can understand now how a programmer has never learned to program C or, or JavaScript and I know that you would never learn C today, but I can understand, I can see how like, okay, but I've seen that before, which means that I can like fairly quickly catch the grips of this and like when I learned Premiere Pro it was or like Photoshop it was pretty I sort of could get the grips pretty quick more quickly in Premiere Pro when I got Premiere Pro I, they're not super connected but Premiere Pro and After Effects at least and I think that's my learning it doesn't matter where you start as long as you start somewhere so if you're going to have a company like you do now you really need to be able to understand the technology behind it to be able to give guidance to people in the area that you want them, the company to grow? Is that what you're saying? That it's... I think you, it depends on your team. I mean, I've been very fortunate with having very technical skilled co-founders and I could easily have been running Karma without being curious about tech, which is crazy. But I think that would have, would have been fine. But I don't want it to be that way. Uh, and that doesn't mean like I will never expect that I will have the solution for how we should build something. That's you know, the engineers, that's their job. They're experts to that, and I really, really rely on them. But I want to understand the high-level work they're doing and just try to understand their world and at least understand their language. Um, and then on my own time, I try to build things myself. But that's not necessarily super relevant for karma because that stage is over. I think what I've learned today, that could have been helpful in our first year, but that's not you know, that's not relevant at Karma right now, but I think it will be helpful in my next company, for example. But you're studying computer science. Yeah, but no, I mean, well. that's, that's all my, my own time. 
You do yeah. computer science for fun on your own time. Yes. Do you have your own time though, running car? <laughs> I, can, I can't imagine you have a lot of free time. No, to... I mean, it's not that I do it every night. I, I've, I've put it in my calendar that I want to do it two hours, four days a week. Uh, it does not happen. It's just in my face. But I think that's at least something. I, I do it on the weekends. Um, and there, there will be times when I don't do it much at all. And then I go back and I you know, just dig into it. Uh, I just believe... I'm trying to not put so much pressure on myself because I'm already, you know, fully laser focused on karma. But I just believe for me, I want to be in like constant learning. So I, I just, uh, you know, technology is moving so quickly and I will never be able to catch up with everything if I'm not, you know, making that my full time job. But as long as I'm learning something a little bit more or less all the time, that's that's enough for me. But I've said to myself, and I'm going to put this on record, God damn it, is that I'm going to finish this computer science course this year. And I'm, and I'm going to take a, I want to take a full stack uh, course on Treehouse that I've been looking at for a while. And it's like looking at, at, at a far and then never really wanted to commit to. But I think that would be incredibly helpful for my, for my work, actually. And why do you think that would be so incredibly helpful? Why? Yeah. No, but I mean, I love the feeling because I do that in all of the other areas. Uh, it's like when I talk to my team, I can both. It's easier for me to say like, well, okay, but what if we do it like this? Or like, well, if I would have done this, I would probably done it this way. And you, you, I can even push it so far to say like, when they don't want to do something or they they don't believe you can do something in a certain time frame or that oh we need to bring on more people to do this, then I can simply say, you know what, I can do it. You, 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 I understand if you don't want to do it, I'll do it myself tonight. And then people are like, oh, no, okay, oh, fine. <laughs> because they don't want me to go in and prove that I can do it myself. Um, but that obviously that won't really stick if they know that I was, literally she won't do it. <laughs> so I think that's one part of it. But that, that's just, uh, you know, it's a silly thing. The important thing is that I, I mean, there's so many things we're still doing that is super scrappy where I, I hate the feeling of being dependent on like, oh, I need help from an engineer to do this. If it's like, we just want to do a super simple test to validate an hypothesis of something that we want, something new we want to do. Then I, I would rather be like, you know what, I'll, I'll do the first, you know, I'll, I'll write the, the first version of this. It doesn't have to be included in our system at all. It's something like totally isolated and just see, do we get a response from the market? And then if we validate that, then we can bring it onto our own roadmap. So that's why I think it would be, it's always helpful to be quite wide, I think, in your skills. So I'm, I'm aiming for like, I want to know, I, I can do sales, I can do marketing, I know some, I, I know some analytics, I'm okay with design, I can do some programming, uh, I, can, I can present the company, I, I've done hiring, like I want to, you know, the T-shape. It's like you're doing computer science and other things like that, like people do go to yoga. On yeah. the weekends, you're into, instead of yoga, you're doing computer yeah, science for fun. It's like a mental workout rather than a physical workout. But it's also because I, my work is very, it's not so much about learning, like do something very focused anymore. And I think I, I miss that a little bit. So a part of me is like dreaming for the for a day when it's like, I could do that full time for a while and just like really, really get my head into it properly. Because my role is so much about being a little bit of everywhere all the time. And that is, it's good. It works for me because I'm a generalist, but at the same time, I miss having a little bit of depth in a, in a skill set. So I think that's why, to me, that is rewarding to do over the weekend, <laughs> which is, it sounds very geeky, but I'm, I'm fine with that. 
gig is fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the future of technology. What are some of the opportunities and limitations that you see? What things are you worried about or most looking forward to? I know that uh, everyone has an app nowadays uh, and AI is really the buzzword. I would be surprised if AI is not in the future, but then in what way, I have no idea. I'm, uh, I'm sort of torn between being worried and excited. I think I'm mostly excited, actually, uh, but still aware that it, it, it will probably be a lot of challenges. Um, I think AI will be very much integrated in how we consume food, how we produce food, or at least machine learning to start, because we've already started doing tests here started doing tests here. Um, I think, I mean, we were talking about like your, um, you were talking about apps, and I, I, I think it's Elon Musk who says like, well, we've already, you know, because he wants to have this company where you're like putting chips in your brain, and like, he, he says like, I don't know why this is such a big thing for people in the sense that we've already done it, because your phone is today an extension of your brain. like you're actually not as smart as you think if you take away your brain or take away your phone. And I, that's actually true. Like I, I, I've realized that it's very rare that I'm more than one meter away from my phone. And I think that sort of relation where we have technology to just like extend our brain, that's just going to continue, which I'm excited about. <laughs> um, I also think that, um, I mean, obviously, like I'm very biased, but I think that the the way we consume food is going to change quite a lot. I mean, I do think that solutions like karma is just going to become more and more common and that it's, it's, uh, it's going to, we're going to find, I think we're going to see a lot of new technical solutions to make the production and consumption of food more personalized, more customized, more frictionless, more effortless, uh, more optimized, like, the, just the fact that we're throwing away one third of all food produced, I think that's going to be something we're looking back at in a couple of years' time and say, like, that's just ridiculous that we were even okay with that. Knowing what we're knowing today, what we're capable of doing with the technology we have, at least in developed countries. Um, hopefully, karma will be in the forefront of that. <laughs> and then speaking of, like, the forefront, um, do you think there's more women in technology? This is a space for them now, or it's more inclusive than it was before i hope so i mean we are i think we're 67 67 percent women here at karma so we almost feel that we have an imbalance on the other way um i i i, I really really hope so uh i uh, my cousin i saw that she was uh, learning um scratch uh at school uh, and i think she's like at the time she was 15 something and I, that made me really happy that like she's now she thinks scratch is super easy to use um i would have loved to learn that um uh, even sooner if it's possible um so hopefully I, I think tech is just it's just sort of a name for something that a lot of people don't know what it is and we just need to make it, it doesn't have to be so scary it's just it's just a big name and it's it's dangerous to sort of assume that it's one thing. It's not one thing. There's so many things. So just like get in there with one of them, whatever that means. Um, and hopefully, you know, seeing a female, I'm not an engineer myself, but I'm hoping to become one in the future. Um, 
but seeing more, you know, females becoming engineers, but also founding tech companies or working at tech companies. Uh, I think, and I know there's women here who aren't engineers either, but they're sort of, you know, being in that environment makes it less scary. Hopefully that will change the future because they will go somewhere else. Uh, I mean, hopefully they will be at Karma forever, but most likely they won't. And then they will start their own company uh, or maybe they will work at another company. They will bring, you know, that confidence that they hopefully get from being here uh, and they can be amplifiers for other women as well. What kind of people are you working with? Uh, like, if people are interested in getting having a tech career, what are the skill sets that you're looking for here? I guess UX designer, mm-hmm. and then like, who, who's sitting in behind these office doors? Everything. So, I mean, we have we're working in cross-functional teams in the uh, in the engineering teams. So we actually we we call it the R and D department, which consists of actually four departments. So it's engineering, it's product, it's design, and data and analytics. And in the engineering team, there are three cross-functional teams, or rather two cross-functional teams and then a platform team, which handles the infrastructure. In the other two cross-functional teams, it's divided between one team who actually takes care of the, the buyer's app, so meaning the car map where you buy the food, and the other team is working on the seller's app, which is where the restaurant and the grocery stores upload the food. And they are very two different systems. Within those teams, we have... Um, in the buyer's app, we have an engineering lead who's also full stack. Um, no, sorry, the buyer's app, we have an engineering lead who's an iOS developer. We have Android developers and then on backend. And then in the sellers team, that's where we have, have an engineering lead who's also a full stack developer. We have uh, a couple of front end and then a full stack and then backend. And then in both of the teams, we had a product owner and then a, a UX designer, product designer in both of those teams. Um, and then obviously we have the data team, which is a data scientist and a data analyst and a data manager. Did that answer your question? Yes, or? it definitely yeah. did. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of different roles here. It is. So yeah. I'm sure everyone will be able to find a role here to fit them. So I know you have another meeting to run off to now. Thank you very much for joining us today on Star Techies and good luck with everything in the future.